Welcome to Your Live Well, the podcast series bringing you expert-led advice, thoughts and opinions across the breadth of well-being from some of the amazing contributors featured at Live Well London 2020. In this episode, we explore the importance of differentiating fact from fiction when it comes to what to believe for your well-being. The wellness industry is booming and we have never been more aware of the need to focus on improving both our physical well-being and emotional well-being. As consumers, separating fact from fiction across products, nutrition, exercise, influencers, experts and advice can be a real challenge and the wrong information can be harmful, not to mention financially draining. Our panel of qualified doctors and psychologists, chaired by Sarah Greenidge, founder of The Well-Spoken Mark, are here to empower you with tips on how to identify pseudoscience, understand the science give you guidelines on how to make informed decisions and why it's not best practice to rely on social media as a source for your well-being inspiration. We hope this podcast helps you separate fact from fiction. So we are going to have a great session, hopefully discussing some juicy topics on what is kind of fact and fiction when we're kind of looking at the wellness industry. But before we kind of launch him, I just thought it'd be good for us all to introduce ourselves. Um, So I'll I'll start. So my name is Sarah Greenidge and I founded a company called The Well Spoken Mark. And what we do is we work with brands um, to look at their internal systems, to look at their content and to make sure that it's kind of hitting a high standard of credibility when they're kind of producing stuff that you and I see online on their websites or their materials. Um, So we founded about three years ago now. Um, We've all audited now 140 brands at last count um, and it's been a bit of a roller coaster to make sure that everybody's kind of agreed on the same page and kind of all passionate about credible information so I will hand over to you. Hi, uh, thank you Sarah. So my name is uh, Dr. Jenna Machoki. I'm a doctor of immunology and I'm currently I have a lectureship position at the University of Sussex. Hi, thank you for inviting me. I am Joanna Kasudopoulou. I'm a health psychologist and founder of the Health Psychology Clinic and also have my own lifestyle blog where I share articles about uh, lifestyle and uh, psychology and self-care. Hi, my name is Dr. Tosin Shotba. I'm a GP based in London. I also run an online platform called MindBodyDoctor, which is a platform to hopefully inspire and educate as many people as possible to really want to take control and learn more about their health. That's me. Sounds fantastic. That's exactly what I do as well. So my name is Dr Gemma Newman. I'm senior partner at an NHS GP surgery uh, near London. And I've been a doctor now for 16 years and I'm hugely passionate about uh, holistic health and helping people to uh, empower them to health through nutrition and through lifestyle medicine. And I have a platform on Instagram at Plant Power Doctor um, and my website is GemmaNewman.com. And can you all hear me okay? Wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) I've got my... (laughs) Yeah. Fabulous. So ladies, I thought we'd launch straight into like the juicy discussion. Um, so I think for all of us, the wellness industry and the wellbeing industry has boomed over the last 10 years mm-hmm. and it's become much more mainstream. It used to be this kind of like cool, quirky underground kind of movement. But now we, we, we all participate in wellness or wellbeing in one way or the other. Kind of from your perspective, um, 
the wellness industry is shifting. And what are some of the more worrying trends that you've seen pick up speed, let's say, in the, the, the kind of recent times? Do you want yeah. Okay. okay. We, we do oh, anti-clockwise. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So, I mean, for me, working as a GP, I tend to see people who are really ill and they need need my help. So, every ten minutes, I see people coming in with various illnesses, and the most common causes of death I see is heart disease and cancer, and these are the things that affect almost every single one of us. And for most of my patients, I think the wellness industry is not really sort of catching up with their day-to-day lives. So, I'd say that. In the medical profession, certainly an emphasis on lifestyle medicine has become more and more apparent because these people have chronic illnesses and they're not being sort of, their needs are not being met through the medical paradigm. And that's why I think the wellness industry is booming now compared to perhaps years ago is because we're living, a lot more of us are living with chronic diseases and wanting to find ways to help with that. Um, But one of the most worrying things I think I've seen um, in terms of my medical practice is, um, is the keto diet actually. It's one of the things that I've really noticed Uh, a lot of people embracing and much as I kind of understand why people would be embracing that what worries me is the long-term health effects especially when you're having a very um, animal protein and saturated fat predominant diet Um, and so short-term people are losing weight and feeling good for that but long-term it is associated with increased all-cause mortality in a few different studies and that's what really worries me as, as sort of the biggest thing that I see day to day yeah I think um, for me, if I think of it from a social media point of view, especially from Instagram, the things that worry me the most are the detox kind of diet. So you've got your celery juices and you've got your slim teas. So people really cutting out every other food group and just focusing on one particular thing that they're sold in a way that will help them lose weight, um, that will cure certain diseases, cure autoimmune diseases, which there's just no evidence for. Um, So for me, those are the really worrying things. Uh, For my side, as psychologists, I have seen many times that uh, people, they want to improve their, their cognitive elements and to improve their memory. So the worst uh, trend that I have seen is the microdosing of LSD. Yeah, and because they think that they they improve their cognitive functioning and they, it it enhances uh, enhances their senses. So there is no scientifically evidences that's doing that, and it's also dangerous from their side to be uh, addicted to that and also to interfere with their sleep and work as well. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think exactly what you said, that, that it's an industry and it's a booming industry. And I think then a lot of lines get blurred, particularly a lot of focus is put on diet as being the gateway to your well-being. And uh, I think that can actually be quite stressful for people trying to attain a, a perfect diet all the time in the midst of busy lives and then we lead to like Gemma said and you said people cutting things out or embarking on really uh, narrow juice cleanses that they're sold as being something that will cure uh, whatever it is that that's bothering them whether it's a really serious condition or just kind of not feeling their best and I think we need to look at some other fundamentals of well-being like sleep and stress being the main ones that come to light even exercise now I see people that are um, 
you know, doing a lot of high intensity exercise, which is actually can be suppressive for your immune system. So it might even leave you more likely to get colds and flus and take longer to get over them. So I think it's like having a bit of a 360 approach is important and remembering that it's an industry that are trying to sell you things um, with often good intentions, but yeah. So I think for me, um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is what I've seen a, a real big rise especially on social media, a lot of people kind of um, speaking about, and actually last year, one of the big wellness reports um, cited the kind of rise of mysticism in wellness. Um, So that's everything from horoscopes, the crystals and that kind of jazz. And um, I've seen a real big boom on that. This kind of meshing together of perceived health benefits from kind of rubbing a bit of rose quartz, which Mm. for me as a former microbiologist, makes me shudder but um it, it's also i think the, the what you talked about this blurred line of um the implication of health benefit or outcomes um related to things that just do not have a clinical bar of evidence and i think the marketing um is quite clever because it is an industry to kind of sell you these products with an implication because they can't quite say it's going to cure you for instance but there is that kind of understanding through the content um and we have recently seen especially which just to get you know just to get nitty-gritty already um we've seen there was a a real big uh, a fine which was the first of its kind last year with goop uh, which was about these crystal eggs that people not to get you cringy 10 a.m. on a Sunday, were inserting into their vaginas with some sort of health benefit, um, which, I mean, for everybody that kind of has just a a kind of basic understanding of science would know that that's dangerous on many levels. Um, And they got hit with a £250,000 fine, which was a really important step for me in the regulation of the content space because it meant that uh, people were kind of putting a halt to content that had no scientific evidence but at the end obviously you could click the link to buy the product um so i don't know if you have any thoughts about that where we have kind of it's not to say that there isn't some benefit and there just may not be the evidence but where there isn't a clinical benefit um and this kind of role of kind of alternative kind of mysticism coming into wellness I don't know if you have any thoughts on maneuvering that space I think that for me the biology of belief is real Mm -hmm. so the placebo effect is real and sometimes people are really desperate yes because they have various health complaints they've been to their GP they've been through um, the normal channels and they haven't come out with any answers and I think then you know when you're sold something that is uh telling you that it's going to work and it's going to make you feel this and that and you start believing it and that in essence can change the physiology of your body and have an effect so it's a real uh, a real effect and I think that yeah people should be aware of that the placebo effect yeah I think the same as well I, what I find interesting about this is that essentially it's around a search for meaning and it's a search mm-hmm. for um, wholeness actually and when you go to the doctor oftentimes they're not going to be able to give you that um, mm. and um, and sometimes you know when you have a long-term illness and you're really struggling with it you do want to look for other things that might help I think this is where people are vulnerable, vulnerable mm. um, but it's also where people can sometimes gain certain amounts of hope so I think I don't think that these things shouldn't necessarily be available. I'm not talking about that vaginal egg. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that, I know nothing about that but um, I think there's a, there's a lot of different modalities of healing 
And as long as everybody understands um, where the evidence base lies and then just decides for themselves, I think that's probably the best thing is to, is to not only have certain things available to people, but also to empower them to understand the evidence base and then hopefully gain something from it. Because there is a very strong placebo and there's also not just placebo effect, but there's the effect of actually connecting with other people. Um, and there's the practitioner effect. Like if you have a practitioner who strongly believes that you are going to be able to empower yourself uh, and do well and they're, they're passionate enthusiastic and they've connected with you then you do feel better yes. um, so I don't think that should be discounted but I think it's important so that for people people to know um, where the evidence is and, and mm -hmm. take it from there and decide for themselves mm -hmm. yeah yeah I agree with that and I think it's important for us to remember that the wellness industry is an industry at the end of the day it's there to make money and it's not doesn't often have our health benefits in the forefront of kind of the industry and many people's minds. So I think sometimes we have to take a lot of things that we see and that we read with a pinch of salt because a lot of the influencers, a lot of um, celebrities, at the end of the day, are sometimes being paid for the things that they're saying and the things that they're endorsing because mm. at the end of the day, it's there to make money. So I think a lot of the time we have to take things with a pinch of salt and if there's any query, stay away from it. Really. And I'm interested because you guys have all decided to come to this panel. Hands up those of you who've bought a product that you feel duped into that now you wish you hadn't bought. <laughs> Four. How many of you have bought a product that was alternative wellness uh, that you're actually really grateful for and you're glad that you, that you, uh, that you bought? Hands up. Okay. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think, I think you know, the people who come to this kind of event, they're going to be looking for things that are outside of the traditional medical mm. trajectory. And I think that's a good thing. Um, it's just about making sure that you, you get something that you're really pleased with and that you understand the evidence base for. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that we're really passionate from a content perspective and getting brands to kind of holding them accountable is that they do make that evidence bar really apparent so that you're able to make an informed decision mm -hmm. that actually that, that there is um you understand the level of potential benefit whether it's based on anecdotal evidence whether it's clinical benefit or whether this is just a nice thing to have which i agree is still okay it's yeah. okay to just have a nice thing to have but as long as you don't for instance start replacing medication with yeah. alternative things without consulting your gp or any sort of content that leads you to make uninformed health de decisions that's the yeah. kind of that starts to become into the misinformation range mm -hmm. cool so um one of the things get my second question up sorry apologies mm -hmm. uh is from your perspective social media obviously has been actually as of today it's the number one place people go to get their health information Wow. wow. We've got this stats in from, yeah, there was a really big um, survey done by Facebook slash Instagram. Um, so that just shows how um, society has changed in terms of where we go to look for our health information. So from your perspective, what role has social media played in either driving misinformation or combating it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. big one. <laughs> um, drive it, I mean, trends catch on and so quickly and then they're around the world and yeah i mean things like celery juice i think is a great yes. example of that um it still surprises me when i meet up with friends uh like other mums that i'm hanging out with kids and then the, the mums are like talking about the celery juice <laughs> that's gonna cure everything uh yeah i don't know 
I think it's I think it's an amazing platform. I'm so grateful to yeah. have yeah. have um, Instagram mm -hmm. because you know, I decided a few years back that as a GP I was helping. I've got three thousand patients that I see on a regular basis, mm -hmm. but there's only so much I can do, yeah. and there's only mm -hmm. so much I can tell them. And I love seeing them on a you know regular basis, and I'll get them, call them back in, and I'll explain things a bit more, and I'll follow them up, and I'll give them the accountability. But still, I felt that there was a real lack of being able to inform them on the next level, which mm -hmm. is why I started my Instagram. Mm -hmm account and why I'm so grateful to now have a platform where I can share information about plant-based nutrition and planetary health and holistic mm. medicine and then connect with other like-minded people and and then it's 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 like the butterfly effect you don't know the yeah, people that yeah. you've that you've been able to really inspire yeah. uh, and um, I think it's incredible it's incredibly empowering I mean a few years back you if you if you're lucky enough to get a publisher and then write a book then you may be able to influence a few people mm -hmm. but now it's exploded so i think that's a really great thing because people can finally yeah. empower themselves it's just a matter of making sure that they understand where the information is coming from mm -hmm. yeah. um and that that's the key to it if you know and and also even as a medical professional, sometimes everybody has their own personal biases, and that's something that we all must be aware of as well when we're putting information yeah. out. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think using social media is a good thing as long as you know where the information's coming from. I think the thing is, information or misinformation, it's not a new concept. So there's always been misinformation, especially when it comes to health and even in the medical world itself. It's just the fact that it took a lot, lot longer to get out there. Exactly. So now you have your social media, you have your Instagrams, your Facebooks, and all it takes is one hashtag and it can go viral. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it's necessarily, it's not the fault of social media. And like, like you were saying, social media is a great, great platform. Um, but we just have to be careful of what we're taking from it. And like we've already mentioned, trying to trying to decipher what's opinion from what's evidence. Yeah. And that should really be on the onus of people putting out the information. So they should really be saying, in my opinion, all evidence is found. So then people are reading it can then take it for themselves and decide, oh, okay, yeah. that's their opinion. I agree with it, or I'm gonna do some more research about it, or actually there's some evidence about this. Um, maybe I can take this a little bit more seriously. So that's on the onus of people like us, but actually it doesn't always happen. Mm. It's good to find the right balance as yes. well, because with the rise of social media, anyone can share everything. Yeah. Yeah. And with the shares and likes, you don't know where, what to believe. Yeah. But it is so empowering as well. I mean, thinking about smoking back in the 1950s, many doctors used to smoke and they used to even use doctors to advertise smoking. And, they, and yet, you know, there were 7,000 trials to show that smoking was bad for us. No randomized controlled trials, <laughs> but there were 7,000 trials and they were all sort of stuck in the bottom of a dusty library at the basement of a hospital and nobody knew. And so now I think it is great because yeah. you, can, you can get that information disseminated very, very quickly. And even now, um, it takes about 15 years for guidelines to actually catch up with, with an emerging evidence base, which is just, I think, the nature of trying to collate data and mm -hmm. get everybody on board and you know, ma making these new discoveries something that we can implement. But with, with social media, people can look at the studies, people can swipe up, they can read it for themselves. Sometimes they can't always interpret it, which is why it's important for mm -hmm. medical professionals to at least give them some understanding of the context. But the information is there for all of us to see. And I do think overall that yeah. is a really great yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, you can't okay. discount the, the many positives. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think it's great that there's lots of healthcare professionals that are now using yeah. social media mm -hmm. to 
um, quickly kind of down any misinformation that they might find so that spreads as quick as quickly yeah. as the misinformation mm-hmm. I think it's still tricky though because I still see I mean I started Instagram as an immunologist because I kept seeing people write loads of shit about the immune system yeah. all the time and it was just uh, annoying me and I've now since written a book and that's all been wonderful because of social media so there's definitely a lot of positives but I do see healthcare practitioners who put out messages that's muddled with their own personal biases and I think this is much more tricky for um, anyone without a scientific or medical background to navigate and I think that's yeah still going to be a big challenge. Yeah and I think um, I agree that I saw a a stat that came from a um, a retail report actually that said that wellness and well-being has now become a shared experience for us which has been really positive um, and actually we are being influenced peer-to-peer by each other to live healthier lives which is really positive um, but I do agree that there is a there is a flip side and I think Public Health England uh, released some stats last year alongside Facebook um, was that the the most prolific fake news to be spread is health fake news so we still have that issue where for some reason um health misinformation hits home a a lot differently um and when we started well spoken we worked with um two two um university university of barcelona and the university of sheffield who had credibility departments who knew that was a thing but it was um and we were looking at the psychology of how people interact with health information online, which is a really interesting area. And one of the things that we found compared to other information, let's say booking a holiday or buying a new car, people's guards were down when it came to health information. It's the one point that like seeps through your subconscious. Um, and it's because it, lots to do with like food, everyone needs to eat. So it's something that we all can connect with, same with our health. Um, and so because of that, which leads on to my next question, there are some things I think that are really important for us to remember when we're looking at health information online, um, to be cognizant of, to help us decipher fact from fiction. Because as you said, even very, very qualified, this is a uh, something that we, really try and speak a lot about even though somebody's very qualified and may have a degree or qualification they can still communicate badly it it doesn't necessarily mean that you know that automatically all their content online is credible um and so it's about having the kind of mechanisms in place to work that out so my next question which leads on beautifully is in terms of navigating the landscape what top tips do you recommend having in place when consuming wellness information as a as a consumer which we all are despite whatever area we're working in we also consume i mean i think for me uh, the key thing to remember is that health is complex and there's many different inputs that go into your health and well-being that are shaped throughout your entire life so whether you've just been struggling with fatigue or recurrent colds and flus or you have a more serious condition like an autoimmune condition there's many complex inputs that are going into the reason that you're feeling that way. One single product is not going to fix a complex health situation. There's very few diseases in life that are just one gene or one reason that gives you that um, effect. So I think be skeptical if you're being sold one solution for something that is ultimately complex. 
I would say to to get the right information and check the sources. If you read an article, to check if that decided, and then to look and do your own research, and also to avoid the anecdotal uh, things that are happening. For example, for your colleague that they tried something, doesn't mean that it will that it will work for you as well. I think it's really difficult because even I find myself sometimes scrolling through Instagram and reading things and being like, oh, I didn't know this was true when it's obviously not true. But you, <laughs> you find yourself getting sucked yeah. into things so easily. Yeah. And that's me coming from years and years of medical training. So I think it's really, really difficult. Um, what I would say is use Instagram as more of a source of inspiration rather than factual information. Mm -hmm. And I think although there's probably a lot of great information on there, use it as a source of, oh, okay, maybe this triggers something or maybe this is something that I want to learn more about and go out there, maybe speak to your doctor or speak to your dietitian because like Jenna was saying, health is complex. So even though something might be relatable to you, it might not necessarily be applicable to you. So use it as a source of inspiration to find out a bit more. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny because we do all, we all, we all look to other people that we love or that we work with and see what works for them. And that's, that's completely instinctive. That's natural. Um, but just understanding that, um, you know, we're all slightly different and, um, you can look for Instagram for information, which is great. You could also look for the NHS choices website, which is really useful information there. Um, and I think ultimately, as Jenna said, health is complex. One thing isn't necessarily going to fix everything, but it's important to just get the, the very foundations right if you can. Mm -hmm. And that is looking at um, your mental health and well-being, making sure that you're fueling yourself with really healthy foods as much as you can, making sure that you move your body, preferably outside, uh, get some fresh air, prioritize your sleep, make sure that you um, just notice all the things that you're doing day to day that can contribute to your health that you may not have even thought of. And chances are, if you've got the basics right, then you're doing a lot better than, than most of us. <laughs> yeah, I think health isn't constant. You know, there's always going to be days that you feel a bit rubbish and that's, that's okay, that's quite normal. It's when it's more persistent, then it's a bit of a red flag and you should maybe get it checked out, but nothing's ever sort of constant. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that we've um, established in terms of a, a, a quick check um, is absolutely to look for if, if anybody's giving making health claims or claiming benefit to see if there's a source mm -hmm. that they're citing and what that source is not all sources are created equal mm -hmm. um, to check that people are not speaking out of remit this is something that we see a lot on social media um, not everyone is qualified or has the experience to talk about and give advice on everything. Like one of the things we really have challenged in the industry is if you're going to get nutrition advice, um, go to somebody with like, those qualifications, not somebody that's done a module for like three minutes. It's about going to the, the, looking at the expertise. It doesn't mean you can't talk about it in general, but it's just in terms of taking recommendations, meal plans, that sort of thing from people who aren't qualified. And also my favorite, um, looking for if you have informative advice or there's people are sharing information and there is a product attached to the end of it um it's not necessarily that that info that suddenly invalidates the information at all but it just means that there there is also a commercial aspect to that information being sold and that product's probably linked so we also always would say go and look for supporting information um on on that information if you do see there's like a sales as angle to it it doesn't mean that it's 
completely wrong. No, 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 I would never suggest that, but it's just it does mean there's another intention. It is interesting, isn't it? Because when you talk about that, my mind goes straight to probiotics, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this as well. Is um, you know, probiotics is a booming industry; it really is, and um, there's many good reasons for that. You know, the microbiome is becoming the new frontier of medicine. You know, first it was the genetic code, then the hormones, now it's the microbiome. Um, but a lot of the um, studies are funded by the companies that make the probiotics. So it's having an understanding about that doesn't invalidate it necessarily, but it's something that we have to become aware of. And ultimately, I think you know, good gut health is about so much more than just taking a sachet or a capsule or a liquid. Um, you've got to give yourself those good gut bugs through what you're eating more often than not, and it's not just about food. Um, but that's one of the things that I immediately thought of, which is probably quite of interest to you specifically. Oh, yeah. Is an immunologist. Um, I, so there are some probiotics that have got a lot of evidence, but that evidence tends to have been funded by the company that makes the probiotic. Mm -hmm. So just be aware of that as well. And remember that f dietary fiber is key to good gut health ultimately, because you're giving yourself the fruits, the vegetables, the whole grains and the legumes that will then feed your beneficial gut bugs and keep them there in your gut where they belong rather than pooping them out with your, with your probiotic. So that's just one that came to mind when you mentioned yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's one of the things that's quite interesting in, because it is an industry, what you can have in terms of commercial and marketing kind of targets, which is n totally normal, we have to, like, the industry has to roll, is an oversimplification. Mm -hmm. So with that, it makes it seem that you were kind of speaking about, like, there's a one-stop shop yeah. that will, like, yeah. do it for you. And actually, like you said, with the probiotics, it's much more, yeah. it's much more complex than that. So bearing that in mind, when you're reading content, often it can appear as a very simple solution mm -hmm. and it's a bit more complicated than that um, and our last question when it, it says, when it comes to influencer content how much trust we place on these online sources my favourite topic <laughs> wow I think there was that study at Glasgow University mm -hmm. that showed most uh, messaging by influencers was flawed somewhat uh, there's also a study from Brighton and Sussex Medical School at the University of Sussex where I work that um, found that the majority of results that came up when you search for immune boosting were flawed as well. So, um, yeah, it's a tricky one. How do we evaluate an influencer? I don't know. Yeah, it's good to not forget that they're getting paid yeah, to do absolutely. that. Yeah. And when they promote a product, it's not, we see an ideal image, but maybe it's not the product that they have, it's created by that. Maybe it's Photoshop or mm -hmm. cosmetic surgeries. It's not always what we see. Yeah, yeah. I think what you said, Sarah, is important to remember that it doesn't invalidate what they're saying. Yeah. Because a lot of influencers actually sometimes do come from a scientific or yeah. medical background, so it doesn't necessarily invalidate what they're doing. They're just getting paid for it. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's up to us to do our own research and to take that a little bit further, I think. I think the reason that influencers can have such an influence is because um, they draw on our emotions. They make us feel yeah. good. We want to be like them and we want yeah. to have that kind of a life. And sometimes it's hard when we're struggling and we're suffering and we're looking for something and then they're offering a solution that just seems so perfect. And why wouldn't we go for it? I think that's it. It's, it's, about, it's about sort of understanding where our motivations really come from yes. and most of the time it comes from a sort of a deep need to feel as though mm. we are enough and I think if we can find that feeling of being enough from within then actually the influence of influencers becomes much less meaningful to us on a personal mm. level yeah. 
absolutely. And I think the thing is, I think what has been great in a way, specifically for wellness, I think with the influencer culture, where there's been a really big positive is it's connected people and made people think about topics that they may not yeah. have necessarily brought up with their physicians exactly. or their healthcare professionals. And it's broadened the conversation, yeah. which has been great. And I think that's a real positive that uh, people are becoming much more in tune with their, their health and thinking about topics. Um, again, like with everything, I think one of you mentioned, sorry, I can't remember who, is that it takes a little bit of time for regulation to catch up with innovation. And um, we've seen uh, the ASA, the Advertising Standards Agency, kind of swoop in and try and curb a little bit of the stuff that is going to be being produced by influencers, which is all good. I think it makes it much a safer environment, but that will get a bit more regulated. So it's just to think about um, when I saw that stat from Instagram that it was the number one place people go for health information. I think probably from a consumer place, from us as the general public, that needs to shift a little bit um, in terms of to kind of take it off a pedestal as the number one place to go for your health information just because there's a health information overload on Instagram. Mm. I mean, you do one hashtag, you get thousands of results and they're not all created equal. So it's just thinking about going offline that's yeah. my favorite thing yeah. <laughs> and not just kind of living and thinking that everything online is you know worth its yeah. weight in sparkly gold yeah i think what you said Toshin, about um use it as a source of inspiration not influence i think that's really nice i think that's really a useful um tool to think about it yeah absolutely um so we've come to the end i know we've got a little bit of time for questions um but i didn't know if you guys had any final thoughts on you know, walking away from this today, what is the kind of number one thing we kind of need to remember as people consuming wellness um, as we move forward? I don't know if you guys have anything, a key takeaway. Well, my key takeaway, <laughs> for what it's worth, is that I do genuinely think that we that we have to have a little bit more confidence in ourselves and our, and our bodies um, so that we don't necessarily get swayed by by somebody that that has this kind of golden goose idea. Um, no, we've got all that we need within us, and then when we don't, we can seek um, help from healthcare professionals who will give you, by and large, trusted advice. And then you can look then on Instagram for inspiration, but ultimately um, aim to look for trusted websites um, that are either by Royal Colleges of Specific Diseases or. Um, or the British Dietetic Association or NHS Choices or something that you know has been vetted um, and the content's been created by healthcare professionals. I think I'll probably try not to repeat you so many words, but yeah, in a sense, again, the word inspiration, but just use it as a, a hub just to get some knowledge, but not necessarily take that as fact. And I think we have to take a little bit of onus um, like we've said, and just try and go out there and find a little bit more factual research if it's something that you're interested in or if it's something that you feel relates to you, your health personally, um, taking that a little bit further and finding some factual information or speaking to, like I said, your doctor or someone that has a medical or health background in that particular area. I would say to be more flexible and not to believe everything that we see and also to do our own research and find that why we want this wellness trend, how it will help us. Yeah, I think health is complex 
I think modern life is hard. Give yourself a break mm -hmm. and a break from social media and just cast a critical eye. I know it's not easy, but just don't take everything at face value and take a step back and evaluate and think, what, am I just being sold something? Is it just something nice to have? Or is it, you know, am I putting all my emotion into this being the solution for some health issue that I have? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think mine would be to echo all of you ladies is similar. I think especially if you're uh, going to take part in something that is quite a deviation from what you normally do, whether that's ingesting mm. a product or going on a very specific diet or something that is quite a marked change, before you do that and depart with any money, speak to somebody else mm. um, to check if that's right for you. Um, and I think that's really important before, um, because you can, you know, do some, we can do some damage to ourselves getting on trends that are not very good for our own bodies and we can also break the bank <laughs> doing trends that are not very good for us. So I think for your financial well-being and your emotional and health well-being, mm -hmm. it's important to uh, not just take things at face value and go and seek out um, alternative opinions. Yeah, and I also mm -hmm. agree that ultimately, you know, common sense dictates that yeah. eating lots of fruits and vegetables yeah. getting outside in mm -hmm. nature getting a good night's sleep creating bonds with your loved ones these are all things that will help us to feel better on some level yeah. pretty much all of us and it's almost free yeah. so, <laughs> so that's probably my biggest take home is eat your fruit and veg get your sleep see your friends and love your family yeah <laughs> don't overcomplicate things basically yeah, yeah. absolutely mm -hmm. lovely so I don't know if anybody has any questions at all yes absolutely um, do you know? Oh, there's a mic. There's many. I was going to give you mine. <laughs> Hi. So that was a really cool talk. Thank you. Um, I just kind of, it's more, I think, for the GP side of the panel. Do you think that um, going forward, the kind of role of a GP will change a little bit in the community as in like um, obviously I've been to I've been reduced to three GP surgeries and all of my GPs were just really horrible like I had more knowledge on what I felt was my problem than I think they did which obviously I know that a GP has to have a, a vast knowledge about vast many problems but then again when I try to kind of come across with my approach and say you know I've had this symptom this symptom I've tried this and this and they kind of like brush it off the table and be like no it's not it's not what you think it is and like I try and ask them could you maybe do this test or could you maybe help me with this because I've tried all this other approach which does not work and I now need medical procedures or medical help with it and they kind of were like no I'm not going to do that and just kind of send me away do you think that like given that the GPs are becoming younger and more kind of I don't I don't want it to sound bad but as in like you know as, as younger GPs kind of come up they um, attend more well-being talks kind of more of the all-around approaches do you think it's going to change going forward like from from what it is right now so that there's a lot packed into that question um and i think from a personal point of view that there's many layers to it so doctors go through a lot of training um you've got the years at medical school then you've got the postgraduate years then you've got the gp training years and there's a lot of pressure as well on the medical profession at this stage because we're just we're all living with a lot more chronic illness for one reason and another and there's many reasons for that um but gps ideally would have been given communication skills um, training they would have been trained to ask you what you think what you've tried how you feel um, and what you want to do moving forward so those are basic things that most GPs should hopefully 
have an understanding of. But ultimately, some of the things that you may have come to them with, they may feel perhaps quite um, confused as to where to go with because we're not we're not taught that we're taught that the body is complex, but we're not taught to deal with all the little nuances um, of health that many people struggle with today. And we're taught very specific diseases. And so it's quite hard for a lot of GPs to actually put these different uh, symptoms into context, which is maybe why you've had that awful experience. And so I can only apologize for that. But I, I, <laughs> I do think that, you know, the milieu of health is changing because a lot of us are living with things like uh, you know, cancer and chronic disease and autoimmune diseases and so the healthcare system is under strain for that reason um, but um, hopefully you know you can try a different GP see what they say it might be that, that you'll find one in the future that you can actually talk to about your problems and then move forward in a productive way yeah we have um, I have three GP surgeries around me and our had like zero luck with any of them and like kind of they're quite which is sad and which kind of brings on a second side of it which I think is that it's so hard for people to be heard as well because I can advocate for myself I know what I'm doing but there are so many other people who kind of don't have that knowledge or don't have that courage to even kind of be like yeah I have a problem so then they maybe turn to Instagram and then that's when they, you know, go on salary reduce to cure that problem because they kind of don't have the um, energy to go and speak to another GP or seek another advice. So. Yeah, I think that's, you're so right. I think that social media is, is often a way that people find connection and find other answers where they're struggling to get answers from from traditional sources. And I think that's why it's exploded in the way that it has, is that people are searching for something. People want these answers. Um, but uh, I don't know what, if you've got any other comments on that. I think it's difficult. Um, first of all, again, sorry that you've gone through a difficult time. Um, and I would say that you're probably you're not alone in probably how you're feeling. Um, although as GPs, a lot of us are trained very very well and we have this knowledge of information in our heads often we have to pair that with how the patient's feeling and um, what the patient feels has changed in their body and often it takes the patient and the GP coming together to make a uh, informed and combined plan and decision and I think that's the importance it's the two coming together and sometimes it doesn't always happen but Again, I would echo what Gemma said. It's important to find a GP or a doctor that I guess you can do that with and that's not always easy as well. And sometimes it's hard because you have to explore the unknowns together. Mm. And that's hard sometimes for a doctor to do because we really like to know what's wrong. We really like to know the answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and sometimes when we don't, it can, it can you know, cause issues um, you know, with communication skills. So I think it's about sort of that shared journey of uh, understanding the unknown and then excluding certain things that we know are harmful and then going through the rest of that journey in in, um, in tandem with you. Yeah, and often we wish we had more than 10 minutes as yes. well. Um, so I think it's just knowing that not everything is going to get done in one appointment and often it takes some time, um, often some trial and error, which isn't always what we want, especially in this day and age. We kind of want things now, um, but sometimes it does take a, a bit of a journey to get to where you need to be. So hopefully you'll get there in the end. That's all I can hope for right now. Hi, thank you for sharing all of your thoughts. Um, I guess my question is the wellness industry on the whole, having kind of consumed it for quite a few years, and personally feeling like I'm taking a bit of a step back now, particularly from social media. I guess my question is, 
of all the trends and all the fads we're talking about, you know, everyone's doing hit workouts, everyone's eating more plant-based, consuming lots of sort of dates and probiotics. My question is, what do you think's here to stay? You know, what from all of these trends that we talk about, do you personally think um, should be around? I think um, gut health, uh, for what that term means to anyone, um, I think is definitely not going away. Particularly from a scientific perspective, we're uncovering more and more. We're still working out the kinks, I think, um, in how to translate that into uh, how people are feeling, both if they have a condition and just for the general population. So I think that's not going away. And that's kind of linked into what you mentioned about probiotics and also eating a plant-focused diet. Um, yeah. I agree. I think a plant-focused diet is not going anywhere. It can't do because we're in the middle of the sixth mass extinction, to, to, put, it, to put it dramatically. Um, we have to make some big shifts in how we consume things in the world. We are consumers, we, we consume. And so we need to think about not just our own health, but also the health of future generations and our health as we get older. And so... Um, yeah, I, I do think that the plant-based trend is not going anywhere, but there are there are kinks to be worked out in that, and the certain industry, of course, is going to jump on that as they as you would expect, and not everything plant-based is necessarily healthy, uh, and that's another thing that people probably don't necessarily. Uh, linked to you know you've got KFC and Burger King and you've got the Rebel Whopper and all these other things like, these are not healthy products to eat um, but every, everything plant based is synonymous with health at the moment mm -hmm. which is which is an interesting sort of mm -hmm. um, uh, sort of turn of events but I do think that ultimately um, that plant based eating isn't isn't going anywhere anytime soon for that reason I think anything personalised is probably here to stay. Um, mm -hmm. So I was having worked in the pharma industry for a long time. The, 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 that industry is going that way as well. To mm -hmm. broad brush approaches, I think are going to be a thing of the past. So anything in wellness that is very much tailored to you will probably be, and that could go across a range of products or services, mm -hmm. um, but that will probably be a tiered state. I think in healthcare, it's going that way as well. Um, but I think any kind of one stop, one one shop stop solutions are going to die out i think they're trends for a reason you know like the superfoods and raspberries yeah. one day goji all that will just come and go as it has done for the last 10 mm -hmm. years um so it's not to get too wedded on the kind of individual like finite yeah. trends mm -hmm. i think another one for me is the link between mental and physical health um i think in in history these have always been dealt with separately uh, yet we know that the, the two are intermeshed and how you think, how you feel, is having physiological effects on, on your, your whole body health. Um, yeah. And so there's a, a bigger profile around mental health. So I think this is not going away and that's a good thing. And that the, the physical and mental are, are really intermeshed. So. Yeah. yeah, and I think a lot of people will be taking that one step further and thinking more about things like spiritual health and mysticism. I don't think that's actually going to go anywhere either. No, I don't think so either. No. So I'm sorry to break it to you. No, I'm just <laughs> going to grip my teeth through it all. No, but yes, no. Um, absolutely. And I think it's just the, the, the importance of you know differentiating belief systems from clinical evidence, and yeah. we'll need to maneuver that journey as we go on. Mm -hmm. But thank you. I think we're, we're good for time. Thank you all guys for coming. And I hope you found the talk helpful. Thank you. Everyone. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs>
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Your Live Well. We hope it gave you some insight on how to separate fact from fiction when it comes to your well-being journey. You can join us for more episodes and find out about future Live Well events at livewelllondon.com. If you'd like to find out more about the well-spoken mark, go to wearewellspoken.com. So for now, take care, live well, and we will see you next time.